Democrat Laura Curran, the first woman elected county executive on Long Island, breaking a glass ceiling and vowing to break with the past. Laura Curran joining us live. It's Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran. Entertaining and informative. Thought-provoking conversations that get right to the point. Observers say her future is bright. Here to tell us more about it, Laura Curran. Now here's Laura Curran. Good afternoon, everybody. Happy Father's Day to all the dads out there. Thank you for what you do every single day. Sometimes you might feel unappreciated, but you're not. You are needed. You're necessary. You're loved. Um, I have to say, I really enjoyed listening to the Roger Stone workout advice and recipes segment. I think he could do a whole spinoff on that. His marinara sauce, his workout routine. I mean, he's 70. He looks pretty good. So obviously he's doing something right. Uh, You can listen to us on the WABC app. You can listen to all of our shows whenever the heck you want, which I love listening to WABC in the car. Just plug it in and go. Uh, You can also listen streaming on the website, wabcradio.com. And I'm very uh, pleased that owner-operator John Katsimatidis, he runs this joint here at WABC. His campaign for AM radio in cars, there are some makers of cars that are getting rid of it. I I have an electric car myself. I have a Tesla, and there's no AM radio, which drives me nuts. I mean, I do listen to it on my app, but it's nice just to be able to turn it on and have it on. And of course, a lot of, you know, public safety issues, emergencies all come through AM radio. So uh, keep going, John. We're behind you on this. I want to, before we get to the show, and we've got a great show, it's action packed. uh, We're going to talk about with Thomas Hogan, who is an economic expert about what's happened to this recession that we're supposed to be coming for this past year, over a year now. Where is it? Is it still looming? We're going to get into Blinken's visit to China the very first cabinet level official to go to China in the Biden administration, in fact, uh, since 2019. So even before the Biden administration started with Michael Pillsbury, that will be good. And George Grasso is taking on Queens DA Melinda Katz. We're going to ask him why. Uh, Before we get to all that, I just have a correction from last week's show. I uh, on his first show last week, Roger Stone interviewed Donald Trump. And I was listening here in the studio, but I I must have been a little distracted because I thought Donald Trump said that uh, he says, you know, was going after Casey DeSantis saying, oh, she hates Trump. Casey DeSantis hates Trump. He was actually Trump was actually talking about prosecutor Jack Smith's wife. So I just wanted to clear that up. I'm a big fan of accuracy and setting the record straight. I want to thank a couple of sharp eared listeners for letting me know via social media. So thank you. You two listeners, appreciate it. Um, you can also follow me on Twitter at, at Laura Curran, 516. Uh, okay, let's get to the show. We have Thomas Hogan. He's a research, senior research faculty at the American Institute of Economic Research. He's a former chief economist for the U.S. Senate Committee on Banking, Housing, and Urban, Urban Affairs. He's had, had several positions at universities and institutes at the World Bank, in the private sector, here and abroad. He's been published in many academic journals. He's on television a lot. And I'm really happy to welcome him on to Cut to the Chase. Thomas Hogan, welcome. Hi, thanks. I'm glad to be on. So we've been hearing for over a year now that a recession is coming. It's going to come in six months. It's going to come in three months. But the numbers keep not being terrible. Uh, The jobs reports come in consistently strong month after month. Do you think we are still poised for a recession? Yeah, so it's funny because economists have been predicting for almost a year now that we would be having a recession. And like you said, it just hasn't come. Uh, You know, the economy continues to be very strong. Uh, The unemployment rate is just very, very low. Uh, Last month it was – well. In May, it was 3.7%. Before that, in April, it was 3.4%, which was the lowest rate in 50 years. Wow. The last time before that was 1969, and the last time before that was 1951. And so the jobs market continues to be very strong. Um, However, inflation continues to be persistent as well, which is giving a problem to the U.S. Federal Reserve. Right. And the Fed this week announced it is leaving interest rates unchanged for the first time since the spring of 2022. They've done 10 consecutive hikes over 15 months. So they decided to keep it 
where it is, but kind of hinting, well, we could have a couple more hikes coming. Why do you think they decided to pause it to freeze it for now? Yeah, that's right. So as you mentioned, they've they had raised uh, 10 consecutive times before that um, and decided to pause this time and, and leave it in the range of uh, five to five and a quarter percent as their target. And that was that was mostly expected um, that mm-hmm. they would pause right now because they had been raising so much and they wanted to kind of take a break to see how this policy would be affecting the economy in the next couple of months. Um, however, most uh most people were predicting that they would start cutting later this year. And Jerome Powell, the Fed chair, tried to make it very clear in his press conference that they aren't planning on doing that. In fact, they're expecting to raise rates again, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe at the next meeting or a few times later this year, because inflation continues to be more persistent than they expected. um, And the the job market continues to be strong. And so it looks like they will maybe be raising more than people had previously expected. So inflation uh, has gone down since last summer. I believe last summer it was at 9% and everybody was freaking out. Price of eggs, price of gas, everything. Um, Year over year, it fell to 4% last month. So that seems like a good sign. What can we read into that? Yeah, that's right. So the 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 rate has come down a lot. It's still about twice uh, what the Fed wants it to be. Their target is about two percent, and so they've been mm. trying to get it down to around two percent. Um, but the problem is it's just been a lot more persistent. So as you mentioned, the headline number of total inflation was about 4% last month, Mm -hmm. but core inflation, excluding food and energy, was about Uh 5.3%. And they they tend to look at the core number because food and energy are very volatile. They're up one one month, they're down the next. But the the fact that everything else has been so persistent is really worrisome to the Fed. And so they thought that number was going to come down more, and it really hasn't. Um, And so that's, again, why they're thinking about raising interest rates more than they had previously planned to do. Interesting. And of course, food and energy is something that people use every single day. So that hits their pocketbooks more uh, pretty consistently. Right. Yeah, that's true. I mean, people think about they they go to the store at the grocery store and they see the price of food and then they go to the uh, to get gas and see the price of gas has gone up or down. Um, And then you know, that's the impression that a lot of people have about what's happening with prices. Um, but those sometimes misrepresent what's happening because they're so volatile. And so the Fed tries to look at w- what's happening with other prices as well. And the things that, have, that move a little bit slower have been slower to come down. And so they're a little bit worried that this just may take a little longer than expected to get inflation down. Yeah, I remember eggs was the big story. Now eggs are cheaper than anything else. They've gone way down. Uh, We talked a little bit about the jobs. Employers added uh, close to 400,000 jobs in May. That's a big number, the 29th straight month of pretty strong job growth. Is this to you, you know, someone might be wondering who's not immersed in these numbers like you are. Does this seem counterintuitive with how inflation is going? Yeah, so um, it is unusual. I think there, uh, as we mentioned before, you know, most economists had been predicting that we were going to be in a recession by this time of the year. And I think one of the reasons that that um, they had misunderstood what was going on is that mm. we were seeing a lot of layoffs and particularly in the tech industry. Yeah. Um, but it looks like now that may have just been sort of a return to normal because during the COVID period, there was a big boom in tech. There was a lot right. of people that were working from home and, and there was elimination of a lot of jobs in say restaurants and hospitality. And so now what we're seeing is the reverse of that. We're seeing a layoff in the tech sector, but we're seeing very strong growth in a lot of other sectors that had not done well during COVID. And so people thought early on this was going to be the start of a big recession, but it looks like maybe it's just the economy getting back to normal. Back to and normal. so maybe that's a good thing. Yeah. So so hospitality obviously way down during COVID. We certainly saw that right. everywhere. Then it came roaring back with a vengeance. Everyone going out to eat, out to drink, going on vacation. Now, it, that's calming down a bit. We're seeing service industry spending, people going out and spending their money on drinks and dinner and hotels, is going down. But is that is that a good sign, do you think? Is it a bad sign? What does that tell us? So, you know, it, it's kind of hard to tell. Like, the Fed has been trying to slow down the economy because of the problem of inflation. And they they were kind of assuming that that would also mean slowing down the labor market as well, that we would have to have 
um, a little bit more unemployment. And so they were kind of being criticized because mm. I think the Fed Chair Powell maybe wasn't representing this. He was saying, yeah, we, we want a little bit more unemployment. He didn't mean that we actually want fewer jobs. What he meant, I think, was that, look, this this rate of, of job growth is unsustainable. You know, we're going to get in a situation where we have a big boom and then that's going to lead to a bust. And obviously that's not what they want. And so the challenge was to get inflation down, slow uh, job growth just a little bit to get us onto a sustainable long run path rather than an unsustainable boom. Right. So um, and, maybe- and, and actually, it looks like they're they're kind of doing that, actually. So um, so it may be that that strategy has worked out better than people expected. Yeah. And so uh, it's about stability. And I, I, he has a Jerome Powell has a very difficult job. He's always being second guessed. It's a huge responsibility. He's not an elected official, but there's a lot of political pressure on what he does. What how good of a job do you think he's doing handling all of this from your? Yeah, I agree. Like, that's a pretty difficult job. And I I think that they actually have done a, a good job kind of uh, bringing inflation down a little bit without creating a lot of unemployment. Um, however, the the high interest rate hikes that they've done over the last couple of years have been damaging to the banking sector. Yes. So we're still waiting to see if there's going to be a fallout of more bank failures. Um, but I would also say that this, in some sense, is a problem of their own making, that the Fed was way behind the curve in the uh, pandemic recovery um, in getting inflation under control. They thought largely that it was transitory, that it was supply chain problems. And it was a long time before they finally admitted, okay, actually, this is our fault. We've been keeping interest rates too low. We've done too expansionary monetary policy. And that's causing a lot of inflation. In order to catch up, they had to hike interest rates very quickly, which caused a lot of problems. Yes. Um, and so I think they have done a good job getting it under control, but it would have been better if they had you know, realized that early on so that we wouldn't have had as high of inflation as we did have in the post-pandemic period. Right, right. I mean, but at least they did the course correction and things seem to be mm-hmm. pretty stable. Uh, Thomas yeah. Hogan, I have one more question for you before I let you go. Will sure. this recession come and w- would you bet on when if it is? So I um, I don't know that I would expect a recession the rest of this year. I think actually so the Fed at least is projecting that we are going to have um, slightly positive growth. And so that means for the rest of the year, we're not going to have negative growth that would be uh, considered a recession. Mm. Um, most economists, as, as we talked about earlier, they were predicting a, a pretty big recession at the start of this year and that we would actually be recovering already towards the end of the year. Well, we didn't have the recession at the start of the year, and it looks like now the expectations have gone down to where you know maybe we'll be able to scoot by without a recession. If we do have one, hopefully it'll be something small. Thomas Hogan of the American Institute of Economic Research. I want to thank you for demystifying this in a way that even I can understand it. So thanks so much, and I hope to have you back on Cut to the Chase. Thanks a lot. Take care. All right, next up, China, big in the news. Very political. Blinken, Secretary of State, is there now. We're going to talk to China expert from the Heritage Foundation, Michael Pillsbury, after the break on Cut to the Chase. Laura Curran joining us live. It's Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran on 77 WABC. Welcome back on this Father's Day to Cut to the Chase. So China, big in the news, uh, seems like for a very long time now. Uh, We have an expert by the name of Michael Pillsbury. He's the Heritage Foundation Senior Fellow for China Strategy. Michael, welcome to the show. Thank you, Laura. So I just want to give the listeners a sense of your depth of expertise. You've written three books on Chinese foreign policy and Sino-American relations. You have a Ph.D. from Columbia in China studies. You've served in the Reagan and Elder Bush administrations. Uh, But many Democrats also look to your work for guidance. And uh, so I just want to thank you very much for joining us. It's a very confusing topic and become incredibly political. Thank you, Laura. I've been reading about you and how you were the first woman county executive of Nassau County. That's right. Thank you so much. That's very kind of you. So before we get into the meat of it, uh, we know that this Tony Blinken, Antony Blinken visit was postponed because of the infamous spy balloon. We all have that uh, seared in our retinas, that white balloon floating in the blue sky. Uh, and, And Blinken was supposed to go then. Obviously, that wouldn't have been smart. Uh, today, 
President Biden said he believes that this balloon was, quote, more embarrassing than it was intentional, end quote, on the part of the Chinese. What do you make of that? What do you think he is trying to say there? Well, President Biden expanded his view in the next few sentences. Mm. Uh, He said the Chinese leaders did not know about the balloon. And they did not know what the balloon is doing. Huh. So this this is really quite impressive that President Biden can read the mind of Xi Jinping. Right. <laughs> and know and know what he knows or does not know. <laughs> is he just trying to be polite, perhaps, I, on the I, eve I of the visit? Do I do not I do not claim to be able to read Xi Jinping's mind. Yeah. And I very much doubt that he was totally ignorant of the balloon program. Now this one particular flight maybe he didn't know about, but we have a very famous story of President Eisenhower uh, when the U-2 was shot down by the Russians and Francis Gary Powers didn't take the poison pill. Mm. And Eisenhower said, oh, this is a weather flight that was lost. But the records later on declassified showed that President Eisenhower had to approve each U-2 flight before it went over the Soviet Union. Oh, wow. So, he, But he put out the cover story that this is a weather plane that's off course. I think the records show in several books, including Gary Powers' own memoir, he was supposed to take the poison pill and not survive. Mm. So the American White House could announce this without fear of him showing up. But then he did show up. (laughs) So something similar is going on now with the Chinese spy balloon, whether Xi Jinping knew or not. If he knew, then Secretary Blinken should not be making this trip. That's the that's the logic of it. Unless he can pull a rabbit out of a hat and really have a breakthrough with China. And the, the number one issue right now is the fentanyl precursors. Yes. That China could help stop. The number two issue is these exercises uh, around Taiwan by nuclear equipped bombers and Chinese naval ships. They're challenging our ships by cutting across right in front of a destroyer last week. So there's a long list of things China could uh, what shall I say, concede or mm-hmm. agree to in a communique mm-hmm. tomorrow. Right now, of course, it's 5 a.m. in Beijing. They're just getting ready for the first day of talks. So this communique will be quite important. And they already announced from Beijing just a few hours ago that Secretary Blinken invited his counterpart, uh, Foreign Minister Chin Gong, to come to Washington. And Chin Gong accepted. Hmm. Now, this is interesting to me because Chin Gong is fluent in English. He was the ambassador here for two years, just just recently. And he knows all about the House Republicans and how they're trying to draft legislation to hurt China. That's right. But he he wants to head that off. He wants to make sure that the Congress continues to be, I hate to say the word, lazy and complacent about China. So what China hopes to get out of this, I think, is the, the image that things aren't that bad. So don't enact legislations blocking investment with China. Don't raise tariffs. You know, don't sanction us in any way. That's what's at stake for China. What's at stake for us is probably an election issue, Republicans versus Democrats, on whether China is a threat or not. And that seems to be quite the debate that's going on. (laughs) Do you think that there is any possibility for the Republicans and the Democrats, you know, behind closed doors, there is always political theater, to have some common ground about what our approach should be. Are those conversations going on right now, to your yeah, knowledge? They've just begun, they've just begun recently. Uh, two key players are, by coincidence, are Indian Americans. Hmm. Um, one is Raja Krishnamuri yep. from Illinois, uh, who I first met in Delhi, actually, at an international conference. Wow. The other is Ro, Ro Khanna. From Silicon Valley. Yeah. There, in the case of uh, Raja, he's the ranking Democrat on this new China Select Committee. Yeah. And he's already indicated several times in hearings that he supports the overall effort. So, yes, there is hope for bipartisanship. This is what the Chinese are, are afraid of that they're provoking a reaction in Washington that hasn't really happened so far. They would rather they us be divided point. and arguing about it. Absolutely. They'd rather have us be paralyzed by accusing each other of being a crime family or you you pick the charge. Um, 
And I, I think what Beijing hopes to do by Tuesday or Wednesday, we'll know when this communique comes, if there is a communique at all, yeah, yeah. we'll know if they're going to succeed in and, telling the Congress to go back to sleep. And on the Republican side, are there folks who are just as engaged as Rajna Krishnamurthy and, and Ro Khanna and having real conversations, not just theater, theatrical conversations about this? Unfortunately, less so. Hmm. The House Republican chair chairman, I call them the three Mikes or the four Mikes, <laughs> Mike Rogers, Mike Turner, Mike McCall, and Mike Gallagher. They are really busy going on Fox News mm. almost every day, introducing bills that have no support, like one or two members support it. And same thing on the Senate side with Tom Cotton, Marco Rubio. They introduce bills, go on Fox News the same day as if this makes a big difference, and then the bill goes nowhere. So Republicans are really benefiting from just talking about the China threat on TV, but not doing anything about it. Yeah. It seems like the, the, the Democrats are the ones who want to get, actually get action done. Well, according to the New York Times yesterday, Republican Congress people, quote, excoriated Blinken for, Blinken for even traveling to China, uh, saying, you know, you know, someone wants to subpoena him. He's trying to normalize relations. He's undermining national right. security. Do you think this visit is a good idea? Uh, it's a good idea only if there's been preparation for some kind of rabbit out of the hat. Yeah. If we end right. up with no communique and no progress by, on Tuesday, our time, that will mean this was a disaster. That instead of increasing the leverage on China, to do the right thing in so many issues. We've got a Heritage Foundation report that lays out a hundred issues we have with China. If no progress is made at all. Hello, you're back. That was a strange noise there. I hope it's not. I hope it's not the Chinese. All right, we're looking. We got Kevin on. Michael, are you there? Okay, we're going to call Michael back. We're going to actually, you know what? We don't need to go to a break. I'll just uh, because there's something I want to get his thoughts on when we get him back. Uh, If you've seen the Wall Street Journal online this morning, they published this really interesting article, uh, how it's being portrayed by Chinese officials, by Chinese media and by, you know, a lot of China experts that it's the U.S. that's eager to meet. But. Behind the scenes, the journal says, it's the Chinese who are really the eager ones. Uh, But they don't want to make it look like that. They don't want to look too desperate. They want to make it look like, no, we don't really want to, but actually they really do. But they have to make it look to their public like they are being reluctant, that they're sort of being dragged into this because of their very, uh, you know, sort of angry rhetoric the balloon, the, the Cuba, et cetera, et cetera. Michael, are you, we, do we have you back? Yes. We had a, just a strange um, music <laughs> there. It's like aliens were trying to take over our show. I wanted to, I wanted <laughs> That's to, our worst nightmare. The Chinese are in bed with the aliens. <laughs> yeah, wouldn't that, now that would be a nightmare. <laughs> I wanted to ask you about this Wall Street Journal piece that I saw online this morning. Um, how it's being portrayed by by Chinese officials, by the media in China and by, so, you know, experts that the U.S. has been really eager to meet. But actually, China has a lot more at stake in this. But they want to look reluctant because they've been pretty strong in in their rhetoric against America, with the spying, with Taiwan and this and that. So they want to kind of message to the Chinese public. This is according to the Wall Street Journal. Yeah, we don't really want to meet, but they're kind of dragging us into this. But when they really want it, because, you know, obviously relations are important with America, but also with other countries, they don't want to look like completely crazy and cut themselves off from other Western nations. Does that make sense to you? Uh, Yes. And there is an overall theme I put forward in my book, The 100-Year Marathon that China has known for 30 years, it depends really heavily on American investment, American technology, and America taking Chinese exports. Mm-hmm. So without all that, without all that, they couldn't have done the economic miracle they did. They used to be 10% of our GDP. It's almost nothing. Now they're pushing 80% of our GDP. And the trajectory they're on is that they will pass us 
over the next five years wow. in GDP, as well as other things. There's other indicators that Heritage Foundation is putting out kind of an index of where China is already surpassing us. So this is the road they're on. They can't stand an American boycott of investment. We're at, at least $2 trillion we've invested in China. Hmm. You know, their stock, we, we allow a couple hundred of their companies to be on the New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ. Hmm. And we give them a break. We don't give American companies. We say, if you have an accounting problem, we will overlook it. Wow. I don't think a lot so, of people know that. No, they don't. <laughs> and they don't know the figure of more than $1 trillion in U.S. equity investment goes into China through these listed companies on, in, in, in the New York listening audience. So the Chinese very much want to head off legislation that's been talked about that would block this investment put restrictions on it, anything that would hurt technology transfer. They've been just doing wonderfully for 30 years with stolen American technology. Uh, yeah. That's a widespread uh, nonpartisan finding. Mm -hmm. So if, that, if the Biden administration or the Republicans in the House start to crack down, and there's been talk about this too, technology transfer, especially this company called Sequoia you may have heard about. Yes. And it's breaking up into different segments. Yes, they were providing high-tech uh, money by the billions and technology itself to build up the China high-tech sector. You that know, may be blocked. That's interesting because Bill Gates, uh, I mean, he's, not, he's yeah. no longer on the board of Microsoft. He's not running it anymore. But he met with President, Chinese President Xi Jinping on Friday it's his That's first right. one. It's, it's President Xi's first one-on-one -on -one meeting with a Western business figure in a very long time. In May, we saw the CEOs of Tesla, J.P. Morgan, Starbucks, all going to China to meet with officials there. Apple, Apple as well. Uh, so there's this other kind of diplomacy going on with these these big honchos. Yes, and they get enormous profits out of their China operation. They're not, they're not stupid. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what the Chinese have been doing, um, especially this ambassador who's the host for Anthony Blinken today. And what's his name again? Uh, his last name is Qin, mm -hmm. Q-I-N. Mm -hmm. His first name is Gong, which means steel. Mm -hmm. Qin means the Qin, the Qin dynasty that founded China. So he's the steel founder of China. And his view has been we've got to reduce we've got to play up the businessmen and the profits and wall street yeah and we've got to play down any kind of china threat yes but they well, actually don't change things in the, in the real they don't change things in the real world they claim that they're no threat and only what they call a cold war mentality people uh, lung john suey is a cold war mentality this is really a nasty vile thing to call an american mm. <laughs> But whether the Americans see through it or not is the is the issue of the century, I think, and that's why I wrote Hundred Year Marathon. I have exp I explained in there how many American officials still believe that China is our friend, and if we just cooperate more over the long run, they'll become our best friend in the world. It's a very widely held view in Washington D.C. Hmm. You know, one thing that has also been in the news a lot is the Wuhan lab. Uh, do you yes. have any insight on that beyond what we're seeing in the news about COVID? Coming well, out? what we're seeing in what we're seeing in the news is very important to understand. It's just leaks and rumors. The yeah. latest leak, which may or may not be true, is that the first three scientists who are working on gain of function in the Wuhan lab they came down with COVID. Mm -hmm. Now that's a, that was a worldwide news story, but it's all traced to two reporters who don't want to reveal their source. Hmm. And that's been the story of the last couple of years on the origins of COVID. It's a little tantalizing hint here, a little story there. I remember one about there were a lot of traffic jams around the lab in November. So this was supposed to show that, you know, the lab had already suffered a COVID. Oh, breakout. in November of, of 2019? Yes. Yeah. Interesting. And the Chinese have been busy blaming us. They repeatedly, from their foreign ministry platform, they say the Americans invented COVID at Fort Detrick, which is our biological warfare release, uh, research laboratory. Uh, we invented it and then we spread it in October when our soldiers came to participate in the kind of Olympic games for military around the world. And they've got in the so-called global South, they've got millions of people, maybe billions, 
believing that, that America created COVID. Wow. Well, while we look uh, weak because we can't seem to get to the bottom of did Dr. Fauci know that this might create COVID or not? I mean, we got a series of evidence, evidentiary problems that would make being county executive of Nassau County <laughs> would drive, drive you crazy because at least you probably had people telling the truth to the county government. Yes. And I, you know, I was there during COVID leading the county with, you know, we're right by New York City and we really got hit hard with it. Um, Although I was very lucky, my health commissioner was an infectious disease specialist. So that that came in pretty handy, I have to say. Uh, But this, but but Michael Pillsbury of the Heritage uh, Foundation, this was Institute, this was really interesting about Wuhan. And do you think we'll ever get to the, to the bottom of it, get to the truth of it? Well, I noticed Senator Rand Paul today has got a proposal. He says we'll kind of forgive China for inventing COVID and covering up because we Americans were jointly involved in the whole thing by funding it for more than $2 million. And of all people, Bill Gates funds, according to Senator Paul this morning, Bill Gates funds efforts to go into caves in southern China and bring these viruses out. Hmm. So his his idea, it's it's kind of weird, but it's and this, it's also logical. If Bill Gates funded the bat cave research, if America NIH funded the uh, gain of function research, then how do we get off blaming only China? We're we're at fault. Wow! As well. Wow! And his his host was I think it was Maria Bartiromo. She was kind of stunned. <laughs> yeah, but it has a certain logic to it. Well, I think we need a, a whole troop of, of private investigators to look this <laughs> to get to the bottom of well, this. We, we just don't know what happened. We just That's don't the know. Line. You know, another thing that hasn't been in the news as much as I think it should be is the plight of the Uyghurs, who yes. are the Muslim minority uh, in the north of China, who are basically being held in labor camps. Why is it that this does not get more attention in the world? Part of the reason is the Islamic or the Arab countries don't condemn it. They're Why? in some sense in, they're in some sense in bed with China too. For because they need China for infrastructure dollars or trade, yes, trade and investment. Huh. So, and the U.S. government under President Trump and Biden continued it. Uh, Anthony Blinken was the first to continue it for Biden. Throw the word genocide around a great deal. And you would think if a country is committing genocide against the Uyghurs, one or two million in, in a kind of concentration camp, you would think we would cut off trade and investment. In a minute. Technology sharing. In, yes, in a minute. You'd think that our agreements to transfer scientific findings uh, by the National Science Foundation to China immediately, you'd think that would be cut off. But actually, there are no sanctions other than a very limited um, bill that the administration doesn't like not to buy cotton that's made by forced labor by Uyghurs, wow, not the thanks. ones in the concentration camps. So even that, I mean, it, it's so is that tame. proper response to genocide? No, I mean, as you say, one or two million human beings being held against their will, being indoctrinated. Uh, I, I just find it, I'm, and, and what you say about, you know, these uh, these Muslim nations who aren't condemning it because they make a cynical calculation, I guess. Yes, number one. And number two, I think there's a sense of futility that Mm. China is now so strong, the number two economy in the world. They want to challenge us now in other areas, more ships than our Navy has. Uh, There's a feeling in the world, I think, especially what they call the global south, that the Americans have lost. The Americans are not going to maintain their global primacy. And it's better to go with the winner, the Chinese, than to stick with the loser. This, this attitude is shocking to many Americans yeah. who think that, who think we're number one and you know we have God on our side and the great economy and the free market, but that's not the view around the world. We're being seen increasingly as a loser, and the Chinese are spreading this line with impunity. Now, that's one thing our ambassador brought up. He tweeted last month. Our ambassador to China tweeted that he asked the Chinese, you know, to be more truthful in their portrayal of America. Yeah. But I think he got nowhere. The the Chinese line continues to the world. The Americans are losing. They're on their way down. So don't provoke China because we're the new winner. That's a powerful argument. Yeah, it's a bully argument. Uh, Michael Pillsbury, I've got one more question for you before I let you go. If you, <laughs> if you were a betting man, 
What would you say this Antony Blinken visit will result in? What will come out of it? You know, it's really impossible to know without what we call classified access to exactly what the deal is going to be. And if you have classified access to that kind of thing, it's a criminal penalty. You Mm. go to jail for revealing it. So you're kind of assuming that maybe I know something, number one, (laughs) and number two, that I might reveal it to you. Yeah. So not here. I'm going to have to mysteriously not answer your question. (laughs) That's fine. That's fine. But you know what? I'd love to have you on again. I really enjoyed speaking with you. Michael Pillsbury of the, is it Pillsbury or Pillsbury? How do you pronounce it, Michael? Pillsbury. Pillsbury. Senior fellow at the Heritage Foundation for China Strategy. Thank you for your insight. Really appreciate having you on. All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. After the break, George Grasso is taking on Melinda Katz. He's a Democrat in the primary. He's coming from the right, though. So we're going to talk to him. He doesn't have as much money or endorsements or establishment support. Why is he running? I bet you can imagine why. It has something to do with crime. So after the break, George Grasso here on Cut to the Chase. It's Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran. Entertaining and informative. Cut to the Chase with Laura Curran on 77 WABC. Welcome back to Cut to the Chase. So we are all obsessed, I confess to this myself, with a 2024 presidential horse race. But guess what, folks? We've got elections going on right here in New York City. In fact, they're happening now. Primary season is upon us. Early voting began yesterday, June 17. It goes on to June 25th. And primary election day is June 27th. There are races all over the city. Uh, And in Queens, we got a hot race going on for DA. So you may remember four years ago, the woman who won, Melinda Katz, she actually happens to be, Curtis Lee was ex. Um, She was, it was a nail biter. Tiffany Caban was within about 55 points. No, excuse me, 55 votes of winning. Uh, Now, Melinda, now that she's up for re-election, Melinda Katz has a threat a little more to the right from a Democrat, but coming at her from the right. And his name is George Grasso. He's a former NYPD officer and first deputy commissioner and former judge. He actually stepped down from the bench to run. George Grasso, thank you so much for joining us. Hello, Laura. Thank you so much for having me on this uh, beautiful Father's Day Sunday. And happy Father's Day. I understand you have two sons. I have two sons. Uh, They're with me in my backyard right now. And each of their spouses are uh, pregnant with uh, one. I got a girl coming in August and I got a a grandson coming in December. So this is a very turbocharged Father's Day for you. And I, I appreciate <laughs> appreciate that you're taking a little time uh, away from your family. And I just want to remind our listeners, give us a call in a little bit. I'm going to take your calls. 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. So, George, why are you running? Uh, Melinda Katz has all of the big endorsements. She's got the Democratic Party. She's got Senator Schumer, Mayor Adams, Queensborough president, a bunch of Congress people, city council people, unions, yada, yada, yada. Why are you running? I think it just kind of laid out why I'm running. <laughs> I mean, talk about an establishment ticket. And, uh, you know, like you, you know, I'm a Democrat for over for over 40 years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and and by the way, I think you were a great county executive. And I grew up in Valley Stream. Oh, thank and, you. And. Uh, I think it's I think it's unfortunate that those of us who consider ourselves uh, sensible, moderate uh, uh, Democrats are being kind of they're trying to pull us into this undertow that unfortunately uh, the Democratic establishment is dancing to the tune of the hard left. You know, I, Mm -hmm. I heard you say something at the outset in introducing me, you know, challenge from the right. And I understand that that's the conventional way of mm-hmm. looking at my my race. But I never considered myself right. If anything, a few years ago, I considered myself in some respects to be left of center. But what, what happened is that the center is giving. The center is not holding. Because the extremes on both sides, on the left and the right, are calling the tune. So I spent 
over 43 years of my life as a criminal justice professional, Mm -hmm. starting when I was appointed as a New York City police officer in November 1979, November 7th. And when I win this race, November 7th of 2023, it'll be a great way to celebrate my 44th anniversary Mm. uh, working as a criminal justice professional. And George, you know, your point is well taken that you haven't changed your politics, but the landscape around us has changed. And I know exactly what you're saying. I feel the same way. I'm still the way I've always been, you know, pretty um, Democrat, very proud to be a Democrat. But it seems that the party has kind of left me (laughs) in a different place. You know, and I think it has something to do with social media. I think it has, has yes. something to do with, a, you know, a certain paradigm shift that we have in our politics. That the extremes on both ends, you know, get to call the tune. And most people and, feel like, well, where do I go now? I don't agree with either of these extremes. Exactly. And if you deviate in the slightest bit, the other side is calling you an extremist. Yeah. I mean, the cat cats must be desperate. She just sent out a mailer last week, you know, all but comparing me to the second coming of Donald Trump. Oh, I That's know. They call real. you a MAGA extremist, which is ridiculous. Because I don't follow the party line. What's the party line? So-called bail reform. So-called discovery reform. OK, sell drugs, beat people up. Deal, hop over turnstiles, do it five, ten times, fifty times, twenty times. Have bench warrants. Engage in activity that makes you an obvious threat to public safety. No problem. No bail. No jail. Get arrested for a serious felony. A district, a district attorney, and a young assistant district attorney has to turn over reams of data, including digital data, in strict time frames. Or the case is dismissed. This is insane. And I would add, George, George Grasso, who's running for Queens DA, if you're a Democrat and you live in Queens, early voting has started. Uh, so make it, let your voice be heard, whatever your choice is. Um, so I, have, I had a point, and it was brilliant, and I just lost it. But I'll come back well, to it in a while second. You're, while you're thinking of the point, yeah. i just like to continue. Go ahead. So, so in the essence of your first question, why am I running? What is the fruition of these insane policies that Melinda Katz, in effect, is supportive of over the past two years, entirely during her tenure? Major felony index crime throughout Queens is up approximately 50%. What do I mean by major felony index crime? It's called murder, rape robbery, felony assault, burglary, grand larceny, grand larceny auto. Now, she will correctly say, well, homicides are down, you know, by a few points. Homicides are single-digit numbers, and they are down. But robbery's up well over double digits, well into the double digits. Felony assaults well into the double. Flushing, for an example, the 109 precinct, which is largely flushing, largely Asian-American, a, a precinct with a population of about 300,000. Over the past two years, robberies up over 100%. Felony assaults up over 100%. Grand larcenies and grand larceny auto up over 100%. Under her watch, that precinct, which was always considered one of the safest precincts in the city, is now one of the most crime-ridden precincts in the city. That's why I just got the support of two major Asian-American advocacy groups, the Asian Wave Alliance and the New York City Residents Alliance. The individual from the New York City Residents Alliance at a press conference this past Thursday endorsing me, he's from mainland China. Hmm. He was expressing the situation in Flushing as in his mind being reminiscent of Shanghai 100 years ago. And Melinda Katz, she says, oh, I believe judges should have dangerousness. Look at my website. Really, you believe that? I believe in discovery reform. Look at my website. Meanwhile, when Governor Hochul, who said during the past budget process that she was going to deal with discovery reform, she was going to get the judges a dangerousness yeah. in. What happened? She did none of it. And she has a propaganda press conference in Albany after total 
failure on these fronts with a banner that says public safety. And who's right next to us? Melinda Katz, smiling and waving. This is the kind of representative that we have from the individual who is supposed to be the chief law enforcement officer in Queens. George Grasso, I, I got one quick question before you before I have to let you go. So, yes, I think it's notable that you had the two Asian American political advocacy organizations endorsing your campaign. This is a growing uh, and and population in Queens, it's up to 706,000 of the borough's 2.4 million presidents. It's growing, and it really seems to be finding its political voice. What is your main message to that group? I will make you safe. I will, I will come to your community. I will restore a quality of life platform. I will include you. We will deal with the drug dealing and the assaults on your streets. We will hold people who engage in hate crime, hate crime accountable. You will be in, involved in the process. You come out and vote. You help me. I'll be there in you, with, with, for you, and with you. And the Queen's recovery will start in Flushing, New York. George Grasso, former cop, former judge, running in the Democratic primary for Queens DA. Whoever your candidate is, vote. These primaries are incredibly important for the direction of your city. Thanks, George. Nice to chat. Thank you, Laura. I appreciate you. Keep doing what you're doing. You got it. We'll have you after the election. How's that? Looking forward to it. And by the way, after the primary... No yeah. matter what happens in the primary, oh yeah, are you going to run? Inde- independent public safety line. Ah, I will be on the ballot in November, and hopefully we win straight up in the primary. But funny things tend to happen in Queens primaries when you're going against the party. Yeah, we've I'll seen be that on movie the before. In November, I'll keep the Democrats involved for me, and we're going to add Republicans and Independents as well, because public safety is not and should not be an ideological issue. George Grasso, thank you so much. We'll get you on the flip side. And listeners, give us a call, 800-848-WABC, 800-848-9222. We'll be right back with your calls. Station built just for you. Entertaining talk, information, and New York opinions. That is 100% on target. The world famous and American original. Talk Radio 77 WABC and WABCRadio.com. Sail into summer in New Jersey. Stroll boardwalks or soar high on the rides. Enjoy iconic shores, history, and culture from dazzling cities to charming countryside. Find it all at visitnj.org. WABC. On weekends, music is our message. Coming up today on Music Radio 77 WABC. The best music. Starting at 6 p.m., it's Ramsey Mazda's Sundays with Sinatra. With your host, Joe Piscopo. Then at 8 p.m., cap off your music radio weekends with the Vinnie Madunio Show. Hey, this weekend, where the music is. Saturday, Sunday, WABC. Cut to the chase with Laura Curran on 77 WABC. Welcome back to Cut to the Chase. All right, we got some folks on the line, but I don't know their names. Yes, I do. We have Mario. Mario, I think you're a frequent caller. What do you got going on today, Mario? What you just said, and that was this horrible story about the... uh, Forced labor, two million Islamic Muslims being tortured, oh, being oppressed. Uh, uh, and why? China. Why aren't people and, talking about it? It's, I mean, it's a really big deal. I don't know why even the American press isn't covering it. And there are warnings on the food coming in from those thirteen oppressive communist countries. It has lead and odium, causes birth defects, cancer, and damaged fertility. It's in food, beverage. God has blessed America more than any other country with an entire continent of natural resources. Why is this garbage coming in? Because it's saving money. Well, you don't save money if it's giving you uh, cancer. Rosary beads made in communist China. And if you proclaim you have love for Christ, they kill you and they put you in prison. So I think your message, Mario, is by American? <laughs> winger. All right. It's disgusting when profit comes before people. And it's horrible and it has to stop. 
Mario, thank you for calling. I'm going to go to Andrew in Stanhope. You've got a question for me. Why would you be pride, pride, have pride in being a Democrat? Look what the Democrats do to the African-American community. The teachers union blocks school choice and Democrats get a lot of money from the teachers union. Also in the 60s, when the Democrats took the black vote, they maliciously got people on welfare to take the followers out of the homes. We have almost a 70% out of wedlock birth rate in the black community, largely due to Democrat policy. And compare that with what Trump did, the Second Chance Act, which helped African-American young men not be unjustly incarcerated. The Platinum Plan, $50 billion for African-American small business startups. And lastly, I'll say, too, $50 billion for historically black college funding. So how could you be a Democrat? Why don't you have guilt? I would never do that. I come from the black community. I see the damage the Democrats do when they run the housing projects and the low income. So, Andrew, I've got a question for you. Um, In this, you know, we're all watching this this Republican primary very closely. Do you have a favorite candidate? Andrew? Andrew is going to probably maybe call back another day. (laughs) All right. 848 it's 800-848-9222. Give us a call. We have just a minute left. I know I see that uh, Ernie Anastas is on deck here. He's warming up for Positively Ernie Live. He's going to talk about today the power of emotions. And something I have learned in my, my short time here on Earth is that it's a good idea not to let emotions rule your all of your decisions because they're not necessarily going to be good decisions. It's good to have that deep breath, that sort of neutral mind, looking at things objectively. Uh, but I think sometimes, you know, we're human beings. We're emotional people. We feel strong emotions. That's just how we're built. But it's good to have that wisdom and that just remembering to remember to take that breath. And as my friend Mike always told me, if it's a good idea today, it's a good idea tomorrow. So, listeners, Happy Father's Day. Thanks for joining us. We did China. We did the economy. We did local politics. We got some callers. There's a lot going on in this world, and I love talking about it with you. Happy Father's Day to the dads and all the dad-adjacent people. We'll see you next week. Cut to the chase chase with Laura Curran on 77 WABC.